Hello, and thank you for joining in again to another episode of From God to Us as we journey through the New Testament. Having looked at the first three gospel accounts, which are known as the Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we now turn our attention to the book of John, or the gospel according to John. John is the favorite of many people because of the content that he shares with us. So if you have your Bible, you may want to open that. Or if you have the notes that have been included for you in the description of this podcast, you can download those and follow along as we go through the overview of the book of John. John's overall theme focuses on Jesus Christ as the Savior for all men. The theme may be stated as, John records certain events in the life and ministry of Jesus in order to convince his readers that Jesus is the Messiah, the one and only Son of God, and to lead them to eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, this gospel, according to John, was written by John, who we believe was the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, as one of the apostles. John was an eyewitness to the events that he records here in the book. He wrote his gospel somewhat later than the others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it is of a very different style and feel than the other gospel accounts. If you've uh, read the different accounts, you have noticed this. He has at least 93% of the material he records is unique to the book of John. That is, it's not recorded in the other gospel accounts. One notable example of this is Jesus' teaching to his disciples the night before his crucifixion in chapters 13 through 17. As far as the date goes, many dates have been proposed for the time of the writing. As you remember, we said earlier that none of the books have an actual date written on them, but we date them according to history and the things that were going on in the world at that time. And most people suggest that the book was written between 85 and 95 AD. If this is correct, then John wrote his book after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, when many of the Jewish inhabitants of Jerusalem had fled to other countries. Also, at this time, if this is true, the Church of Jesus Christ has been growing for some 60 years, and many of Paul's letters have been circulated through the church, as well as the other gospel accounts that we have already looked at have been circulating through the church. So the church has got a good foundation now. So why have another gospel account? Why should John write this? Well, John states his purpose very clearly in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, Jesus did many other miracles, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving you may have life in his name. Now, John is one of the few books in the Bible that has such a clearly stated purpose. John was concerned that all people should know that Jesus is the Son of God, and as such, he is God in the flesh. So that was the first thing he, in his gospel account. He wanted to clearly help people understand 
Jesus' deity. He also wanted people to know that they could have eternal life by simple faith in Jesus Christ. So you see, in light of the growing opposition to Christianity from outside and the problems of false teachers creeping on the inside of the church, it seems that John wanted to make the message of salvation crystal clear. And this was part of the reason why he wrote this book. Now, as far as the style of writing goes, though John includes some of Jesus's teaching, he includes none of his parables. He does include Jesus's seven I am claims, which are allegorical in nature. And by that, we mean when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's not literally a piece of bread. He's making an allegory and helping us understand something spiritual from this declaration that he is the bread of life. We'll talk about that more later. Other things that John omits include is Jesus's genealogy, birth, his baptism, his temptation, casting out of demons, the story of the transfiguration, the Lord's Supper, his agony in Gethsemane, and his ascension. All these are not included in the book of John. He does include some other important teachings, though, regarding truth, light versus darkness, faith versus unbelief, knowledge, love, and the world. So these are some important things that John includes, some important themes that we find in his book. So it seems to be that some of these things John did not record because they had already been recorded in the first three books. And again, people probably were uh, knew these accounts. The Gospels had been circulating. So it, he felt probably that there was no need to include all of those accounts because they were already been recorded. What he's recording is some information that had not been written down in the other Gospel accounts. Though none of the accounts are a strict chronological account of Jesus' life, John's is probably the least chronological of them all. Now we turn our attention to the book of John itself and get in order to get an overview of the book of John. It's divided into several sections, and each section is very important to the theme that John is communicating. The first part we call the introduction, which is found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, contains some theological material that is very important to John's theme. Notice right off the bat, this is very different from the other gospel accounts, but he begins by talking about who this Jesus is. In verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, to those that know something about the Bible, this relates the reader back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John is connecting the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ to the very beginning of time when God created all things. He's clearly identifying Jesus as God, and we see that more and more as the book develops. Uh, the opening verses are quite different, but they're extremely uh, important to understanding who Jesus Christ really is. We learn that the Word came to bring light, 
that is God's revealed truth to all people, even though they are in darkness. He came to allow people to become the children of God through faith in his name. We learn that he is God in the flesh who dwelt among us. And finally, we understand he was the revelation of God's grace and truth. This is all in verses 1 through 18, the beginning of the book. The next section we call the revelation of the Son of God, or the revealing of the Son of God, which is chapter 1, 19 through 12, 50. This section introduces Jesus to us in, with seven, excuse me, seven distinct titles. He then begins to record seven miraculous signs which symbolize the life-changing results of faith in Jesus Christ. In addition, he records five I Am claims which reveal Jesus' divine nature as well as his work in the lives of people. And after each uh, event, John records a contrast between faith and unbelief those, that is, those who have faith in him versus those who reject him. Then in the next section in chapter 13, 1 through 17, 26, we have this account of Jesus teaching his disciples on the night before the crucifixion. As we said in the very beginning, this is none of this is recorded in any of the other gospel accounts. But John records the account here of Jesus washing his disciples' feet to which he taught them several important truths. The first of these would be he, that he offers forgiveness to those who come to him in confession. And secondly, he taught his disciples that just as Jesus loved and forgave, they too should love and forgive each other. It also includes the revelation regarding the Comforter or the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus is going to send. So again, there's this... Uh, promise of the Holy Spirit who will come. And in this section, he teaches several important things about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit would dwell permanently within them. This is in uh, 14 verses 16 through 17. The Holy Spirit would reveal Jesus's truth to them, 1426. The Holy Spirit would give testimony of Jesus through the disciples to the world. That's in 1526. He would also convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We find that in 16, 8 through 11. And finally, he would guide them, that is the disciples, into all truth, 16 verses 13 through 14. So this is a very significant portion of the gospel of John. This, these final instructions and this set of instructions on the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught his disciples how they were to live and to produce spiritual fruit for him in the world. Using the illustration of a vine, Jesus taught his disciples the importance of abiding in him. Then finally, in this section, John records Jesus' prayer to the Father. In this prayer, Jesus reveals that he has always and will always do the Father's will. He prays for strength for his disciples and for all those who will believe in him. And thus in this prayer, we see the heart of Jesus, the Son of God. Some refer to this as the real Lord's Prayer. When we looked in 
the Gospel of Matthew and the prayer that's called the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't really the Lord's Prayer. It was the prayer of the Lord taught to his disciples. This is the Lord, that is Jesus's prayer, we find in John chapter 17. In the next section, we come to the rejection and the triumph of the Son of God in chapter 18, 1 through 20, 31. So similar to the synoptic gospels, John records Jesus's arrest, his trials, uh, his crucifixion. He also gives an extended account on the resurrection. John records some unique information in these accounts. First, the account where the when the army falls down at Jesus's arrest, when they say, we've come to find Jesus, and Jesus says, I am, and they all fall down. There's Pilate's three attempts to declare Jesus's innocence. We find this recorded in the book of John. Jesus's appearance to Mary, which is not in the other accounts. Also, the account of Jesus appearing to his disciples when Thomas was absent and then appears to them again when Thomas is present. These were all unique accounts of the resurrection. And then finally, the final section is called Final Instructions of the Son of God. And this is basically chapter 21. This last chapter is unique to John as well. Jesus appears to his disciples on the shore and tells them to throw their net, their nets on the other side of the boat. And when they do, they get a great catch of fish. And at this, they realize that it is Jesus on the, on the shore. This chapter also has Jesus's restoration of Peter and his instructions to Peter to feed his sheep. Well, that's a brief overview of the various sections of the book of John. But there's a few themes that are very important that I would like to go over that are, help us understand this book. And the first one is that of faith. The Greek word pistuo, which is usually translated believe in our English Bibles, is used 98 times in the book of John. And if we compare that to how many times it's used in the rest of the Bible, the other 26 New Testament books, we find it's used 119 times in all the other 26 books. So John uses it almost as much as all the 26 books combined. So it's a very important word and theme in the book of John. So there's a great emphasis on believing in Jesus or believing in God. The word here, pistuo, means to believe in or to have faith in someone or something or to trust in someone or something. The word trust probably conveys the meaning of this word very well. So it is by faith or trust in Jesus Christ that a person can receive abundant life and eternal life. This belief or faith is not to be confused with commitment or the commitment required to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Many times in the Gospels that Jesus talks about the things that a person must do in order to follow him. But the initial salvation comes to us through faith. Faith is simply faith. It is not to be confused with dedication, commitment, surrender, repentance, or self-sacrifice. These are all the things that 
Jesus asked his disciples to do. Those who were following him, if you want to be a faithful follower, these are the things that you must do. So these actions follow salvation, which salvation is simply by grace through faith. Someone has once said, and I don't really know where the, this statement originated, but I've heard several people say it, and I think it's correct. Faith is the empty hand of the beggar. So just imagine a beggar sitting down. He reaches out his hand, all he has. He has nothing to offer. He just says, can you give me something? And really, that's what faith is. We are saying to God, we have nothing to give you. We have nothing to trade for salvation. We can't earn our salvation. We simply receive it by faith. So you see, in a world where Christianity was being challenged on several levels, and where there was confusion about the deity of Christ and the nature of salvation, John wrote his gospel account to clarify these matters. Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament who has come to earth as a man. He is the Son of God who is able to provide the spiritual life needed to have a relationship with God and to live forever. Anyone may receive this life, faith, in Jesus Christ. That's why this word faith is so important. Then there's some other themes. The, the number seven occurs a number of times. Not the number seven, but there are certain things that occur seven times in the Bible over and over again. And the number seven usually refers to perfection. And so John records several different themes seven times in his book. Now, the first one of these is the seven titles. We mentioned this earlier. In chapter 1, Jesus is introduced with seven titles. These are the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Israel, and the Son of Man. And each of these titles teach us something about Jesus, about his nature, about his identity, and about his mission. And the rest of the book is dedicated in revealing these truths. Then John records seven signs, seven signs that are the evidence of Jesus' identity and his authority. He records the water turning into wine, healing of a boy, the healing of a lame man, the feeding of the 5,000, of Jesus walking on the water, the healing of a blind man, and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. There's five of these that are actually unique to the book of John. Then he records seven I am statements. These I am statements are um, used in such a way where Jesus is identifying himself with the I am of the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, 14, God reveals his name as I am that I am. And this Hebrew expression gives rise to the name Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament, the God of Israel. And the way Jesus uses these words, I am, he is clearly relating himself to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. There are seven unique occurrences of this expression. I have these for you in the, note, in the notes. It's uh, 426, 620, 824, 828, 858, 
13:19 and 18:5. And again, some of the English versions translate this I am he, but in the Greek it literally is I am. And the most significant of these we see in 8:58 where Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders and he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And the religious leaders immediately picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was identifying himself with the I am, that is Yahweh, of the Old Testament. And they considered this blasphemy and they sought to kill him. And so some of these statements aren't as clear because the English translations translate them, I am he or I am the one, something of that nature. But literally in the Greek, it's simply I am. And then lastly, there are the seven I am claims. In addition to the I am statement, Jesus says, I am, and then he connects that with a certain idea that teaches who he is. For instance, uh, I am the bread of life. We mentioned that earlier. So Jesus is using the bread to represent something uh, about himself. Other I am claims are, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And each of these claims teach us something about Jesus' work and ministry in the lives of people. He is the all-sufficient Son of God who provides everything we need for abundant life on earth and for life in heaven. This is the Jesus that John presents to us. When we look at the book of John as a whole, there are several lessons that we can learn from the book of John. First of all, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ apart from any good works. Good works follow salvation, but they are not required in any way to receive the gift of eternal life from God. Uh, Jesus Christ has provided all we need for abundant life. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. Through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, we have all that we need to have abundant life on earth. We can only do the true work of God by abiding in Jesus. And that means to rest in him and to trust in him, to have him as the Lord of our life. Only through doing these things can we truly do the work that God has called us to do. And then uh, we also learn that Jesus is the God who continues to forgive and gives his followers chances to serve. He is a forgiving God. It's amazing how much he continues to forgive us because he's already paid the price for all our sins. And even when we mess up and even when we screw up, when we come to him and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us and then continue to give us opportunities to serve. What an amazing God we serve. Also, we learn when we look at a little bit more application for our lives today, that through Jesus Christ, your sins are completely forgiven. That's amazing. Our sins are already forgiven in Christ. Now, when we sin, we come in confession in order to be cleansed and to restored. But the ultimate forgiveness for the penalty of sin is complete in Jesus Christ. And I think we need to be careful, as I mentioned earlier, never, requir uh, never confuse the requirements for salvation 
with the requirements of a faithful follower. The requirements for our salvation are simply, there's only one thing, faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, trusting in Jesus Christ alone, that his work, his work of his death on the cross, his shed blood and his glorious resurrection is enough to secure your everlasting life. But however, once we enter into that and we trust him, then there are requirements that we must adhere to in order to be a faithful follower. And once you come into life with Jesus Christ, once you have been forgiven and have that new life, then you want to be his faithful follower. And these requirements of commitment and dedication are something that we willingly do because of what he has already done for us. Well, friends, that is the book of John, uh, the big picture overview. In our next episode, again, we're going to look at some of the individual passages. We won't be able to cover them all because there's so much in the book of John, and I encourage you to stay tuned for that episode. But the book of John here has been written so that we might know who Jesus is, that we might believe and trust in him so that we might have life everlasting in Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I encourage you to do so. And I pray that God will bless you as you continue to study his word.